Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to episode 463. It's a best of. Uh, it's a rerun of an episode that I did, the 34th episode we ever did with uh, Paul F. Tompkins from 2011. I decided to take the week off for, for Thanksgiving and uh, and to chill, to enjoy myself and enjoy the rain that we got here in Los Angeles. Um, I don't know why I felt that you needed to know that, but many things I'm grateful for this, this Thanksgiving, um, especially you, the listener, for filling out the surveys, for being monthly donors, for giving me feedback whether positive or constructively criticizing uh it it all is it's all good as <laughs> it's all good as the kids like to say as they kick their hacky sack around do people even do hacky sacks anymore anyway um oh our sponsor for today is betterhelp.com i i've talked ad infinitum about how much i get out of uh, the relationship I have with my counselor, um, do it every week from the comfort and convenience of my own home, and uh, I'm just a big fan. And the feedback I get from people who have tried BetterHelp is great. So I'm not the only one that loves it. And if you're interested in checking it out, go to betterhelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental part so they know you came from this podcast. Then uh, just fill out a questionnaire. If they have a counselor that they feel like is a good fit for you, they'll match you up with one, and then you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is right for you, and you need to be over 18. Without any further ado, here is the episode um, with Paul F. Tompkins in its entirety, and we will be back next week with a brand new show. Welcome to episode 34 with my guest, Paul F. Tompkins. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, an hour of honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions to everyday compulsive negative thinking, feelings of dissatisfaction, disconnection, inadequacy, and that vague sinking feeling that the world is passing us by. You give us an hour, we will give you one hot ladle 
of awkward and icky. This show is not meant to be a substitute for actual professional medical advice. I'm a jackass that tells dick jokes. This is not a doctor's office. Think of it as a waiting room that hopefully doesn't suck. But first, before we get to Paul's interview, a few notes. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. When Breath Becomes Air by Paul Kalanithi is the exquisitely observed memoir of an idealistic young neurosurgeon attempting to answer the question, what makes a life worth living, as he deals with his own terminal cancer diagnosis. It's a stunning reminder to live while we are alive. A must-read for anyone in medicine, from a doctor-turned-patient. For healthcare workers, expand your view on patient care and the fragile beauty of our mortal lives through Kalanithi's unforgettable words. Some of the questions Kalanithi wrestles with in this book include, what makes life worth living in the face of death? What do you do when the future flattens out into a perpetual present? When the future is no longer a ladder towards your goals in life? What does it mean to have a child, to nurture a new life as another fades away? When Breath Becomes Air is a number one New York Times bestseller, Pulitzer Prize finalist, and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com slash breath. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Uh, as I mentioned on the, the last uh, podcast, uh, t-shirts are now available, Mental Illness Happy Hour t-shirts. They're, uh, they're 25 bucks, and uh, you can get them at the website, mentalpod.com. You can also support the show there by making a donation through PayPal, uh, buying th- something through our Amazon uh, search link, Um uh, you can go to the forum there. Uh, I've been really touched by the, the number of people that have started um, posting stuff on the forum and helping each other out and connecting and expressing love and support for each other. It's really, really touching. And uh, I, I want to thank um, the, the guys that help keep the uh, the spammers out of that. Uh, Eternally Learning is, uh, is one guy, and BCZF is, uh, is the other guy. That's their, uh, their handle. Is that what you call it when you're in the forum? Anyway. Um, thank you to to all of you guys. Um, it was an interesting week. A friend of mine called me from the emergency room, and she was having a nervous breakdown. And actually, the paramedics had had to bring her there because she was shaking so badly, and um, she that she couldn't drive. And you know, when I asked her what was going on, in a nutshell, she feels like her life is collapsing around her. She used to have a powerful position in, in her industry, and now she's unemployed. Um, she broke up with somebody uh, that she had lived with for a while. And I, you know what, I know that feeling when you feel like the rug is pulled out from underneath you, and it feels like there's nothing you, you can do to protect yourself from stuff like that happening. And while we can't protect ourselves from things happening to us, I think what we can do is 
create a part of our lives that can't explode, that can't be have the legs cut out from underneath it. And what I've discovered is engaging in stuff that doesn't have to do with my ego is the only stuff that can't be destroyed. Um, doing volunteer work, doing something nice for somebody else, uh, especially if if nobody else knows about it, if it's, if it's completely anonymous. Um, because when... When I do those things, there's no, it can't be popped. You know, nobody can come in and cut the legs out from underneath that. Uh, I think of this story that Eric Clapton tells when he was at the height of his people worshiping him as a guitar god. He read a review of uh, one of his albums in Rolling Stone, and they completely dismissed it and said that his playing was derivative and he was ripping off old blues guys. And he says he fainted. And that, to me, proves that it was ego-based because ego-based things can always have the legs cut out from underneath them because they're dependent on other people's opinions of us. And if you cultivate an area of your life that is kind of good and pure and selfless, when all the other stuff collapses, the landing to me, is softened because you always have that to fall on. And then you don't believe that lie that I am nothing and my life is disappearing. Everybody yeah. I know is bizarrely, beautifully fucked up in some weird way. I couldn't stand you in the audition. I couldn't stand yeah. you. Yes, yeah. awful. Yeah. I was drunk. And I learned that I could solve my problems. And said. Through violence since I couldn't communicate. Lonely? Yes. I'm afraid that my genitalia is ugly. That's hurtful. And what was your role in the robbery? I mean, you never knew what you were going home to. I had a jar that had teeth in it. I was a wreck. Other people's teeth? Yeah. I'm here with uh, Paul F. Tompkins. Uh, can I call you Tomcat? Does anybody call you Tomcat? <laughs> no, I don't know what's taken so long. <laughs> Has anybody ever called you Tomcat? No, no, no. Apparently, they used to call Tom Kenny that back oh, really? in the yeah when it was him and um, uh, Bobcat Goldthwait. Bob was Bobcat. Tom was Tomcat. That makes perfect sense. And I think Paul Kozlowski was Paulcat or Polcat. Polcat, depending would on make, your pronunciation, would make yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, for those of you that uh, that don't know uh, Paul F. Tompkins and their oh, there's more to it. Oh, there is. Oh, I thought that was it. I thought you just had me by for uh, for that. Oh yes, just to just to call you Tomcat. I guess I haven't listened to the whole podcast. You should. You should. You should listen to the Look, podcast. Look, I'm busy. Yeah, <laughs> you thought this was just an assigning a nickname podcast. I thought it was like a four to seven minute podcast, and I'm like, I would no. always get halfway through and like, oh, I gotta, no. I gotta run. Oh my god, this is very awkward. I've got to be much. Uh, I've got to reveal more information in my emails when I solicit people to to come on the podcast. I never got as far as the introductions. Yeah, I would always think, oh, I wonder you're, who that was. You're really impatient well <laughs> well we'll get to that we'll, we'll, sure. we'll get to the roots Absolutely. of that because that's what this but you wouldn't know that no that's true uh, yeah, i guess that's I true i just caught you, you i just caught you you so don't flesh out your characters <laughs> you are really an, a rank amateur i uh for those of you that don't know uh paul f tompkins he uh is, is in my opinion one of one of the best stand-ups working today. Uh, I'm alone in that opinion because most people find him um, 
Intolerable. Insufferable. Uh, long-winded. Uh, unbearable. Unbearable. Uh, any word that begins with un. <laughs> un, anti, non. Uh, Paul Paul was a uh, a writer and performer on the groundbreaking uh, HBO sketch show uh, Mr. Show. Uh, he has a podcast that is absolutely one of the funniest, most original podcasts out there. It's called the Pod F Tomcast. And if you haven't heard it, it is. Uh, I was I was uh, talking with somebody the other day about podcasts, and we were both saying how excited we are when whenever one of your new episodes come comes out oh, and we were like you. it's literally it's like comedy christmas when your <laughs> when your episodes uh, come out it's thank you very much paul it uh it's your sense of humor um and here's one of the reasons why i'm a little uh why i was a little surprised that you that you felt you qualified to come on the show <laughs> because your sense of humor has a lack of hate in it that is really refreshing. <laughs> it's Paul's sense of humor is it's very very literate and it's uh, it's got a, a silliness to it and it's got kind of a tangential uh, abstract qu- quality to it <laughs> and and it is there's nothing like it there's nothing else like it and um, but there's almost like uh, and and I don't. Certainly don't mean this is a put down. This is something I strive. There's a childlike vulnerability in it that is unprecedented in comedy. I suppose you could go back to the 50s or 60s and find um, comedians that that had that kind of vulnerability, but their comedy wasn't funny. There wasn't. There wasn't. An, <laughs> I, I think an, I know what you mean. Yeah. You know who I would say though is 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 like that, and it's somebody that I um uh was a was a. A great example to me in in where I where I how I arrived at the the style that I have today um, is Brian Regan, because yeah. Brian Regan was a guy. It one day it dawned on me, his comedy is always directed inward. It's mm-hmm. always about him being the dumb person. It's always about him being the screw up. You know, it's not about um, uh, easy targets and taking down. Uh, uh, people that are less than him. Right. It's always what makes it so relatable is here's where I fucked up and right. here's where I feel dumb. Right. You know, and like the idea of that's not a thing you see really. Somebody, a, 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 an observational stand up comedian who just gets up there and talks about everyday stuff, who's, who's coming from the point of view of this thing makes me feel uncool and stupid. You know, whereas so much of what we do is about, you know, being in control of the audience, you know, mm-hmm. and, and projecting a confidence. It's like, listen, you guys, everything's going to be okay because I'm so cool. Right. So if I'm going to make fun of some, some shit that you're going to enjoy me making fun of and everything's going to be fine. And when I, it kind of dawned on me like, oh, this guy is doing something that is, is so, it's so welcoming in a way you don't even realize that it is, yeah. you know, that the audience isn't thinking about that, you know, but it's a, it strikes a nerve that people don't realize they want struck, you yeah. know, of like, Oh, I thought I was the only person who was dumb. Right. <laughs> and it's, and it's refreshing in its lack of, of cynicism. Uh, yeah, and that's, that's yeah, the yeah, other yeah. thing that, that I enjoy about your comedy is it's so uncynical. And I love it in the beginning of the podcast, you know, the introduction to it. And they say, you know, uh, performed for a, uh, uh uncynical audience <laughs> oh, <right>. and, and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I always say this to, to Jimmy. You and Jimmy Pardo, to me, are anomalies in that you guys can perform for a room full of hipsters. You can work G-rated clean, mm-hmm. 
and get these people. And Jimmy can can kill in front of a crowd, any crowd on the road, and kill in front of a room of hipsters. And that, mm-hmm. to me, is A, the sign of a, a originality, and uh, B, just fucking amazing uh, to me. Uh, oh, but, well, but, I, but I imagine you didn't get to that to that place uh, right out of the gate. No. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't want to, uh, and, and I don't want the, the focus of this, um, of this episode to be too much about comedy because there are other podcasts that I think, you know, I think Mark Marin does what he does. And I, while there are areas of our podcasts that overlap, I, I try to consciously avoid not treading territory that, that sure. Um, so I, I would like to start with, um, I don't know, where do you think would be a good, a good place to start since you kind of know what you feel makes you relatable to the, the theme of, of this show? Where do you think would be? Well, I, I think that, uh, like, <clears throat> you know, a lot of your guests, uh, who, who are performers of some kind, you know, um, and, and I've listened to, just about all the episodes, I think that, that of, you have of your show. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Wow, that, that, that I'm incredibly flattered. No, and it's well, it's a lot of people that I know, you know, mm-hmm. so that, um, you know, I I, I have uh, people that are uh, sort of my gateway guests on podcasts. And that's how I find things, and so sometimes sometimes I'll do a search for uh, my friend Jen Kirkman, mm-hmm. you know, and I saw that she was on yeah. your show, and so that, and I didn't even know you were doing this podcast, yeah. you know, and that's how I found out. I about didn't it. even know I was doing this podcast. <laughs> How many episodes in did you find out? About the sixth one. I found myself editing and I went, what? And it feels like a betrayal. (laughs) (laughs) So I started listening and and, uh, I was was in, I got into it immediately. um, And uh, I think what I I share with, with a lot of people and what a lot of performers share is there was something early on you were not getting enough of whether it's love or attention or um or both or uh whatever magical combination it is that some people we think some people are getting (laughs) that makes them not do what we do you know um and for me it definitely was um you, you know, mean you mean when I was talking about my childhood saying I wasn't getting enough love or attention or you mean professionally I wasn't getting enough now take your pick. I, okay. <laughs> but no, I, I mean, I think it starts with, it definitely starts with childhood and it's, it's, it's a, it, you know, it's a very common story, yeah. uh, to all of us. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was the fifth out of six children, you know, growing up with, uh, a, a mother who was, uh, just flat out burnout, you know, just by the time I came along, um, this was somebody, you know, from the, uh, a depression baby, you know, who, uh, I think, you know, my relationship with my mother who passed away in, in 2007, I think has informed, uh, just about all the choices that I made in my life up to a certain point, you know, um, because this was the person that, uh, this was the audience member for how many decades of my life. You know, the person that I was trying to make, um, trying to get the approval, trying to get the... Uh, was, was she a good audience for you? No. No? She sure wasn't, no. 
th- that's why. Because I you heard know? you. I, I also heard you. I listened to you on on Mark Maron's podcast, and you said that your dad also wasn't a really that super remote. To yeah. this day, my my relationship with my dad is he. I, I've described it as as um, you know being with him is like being with a friend of a friend that I don't know that well, and uh, I'm struggling for. Uh, any kind of conversational in like what could what, what how can i get more than a one word answer out of this guy yes like just yeah. the fact that i refer to my dad as this guy like <laughs> a lot a lot um you know but my mom was the was the person that she because my dad was at work all day and then he would come home and he would go off into his world you know he would go up into his room where he would watch his television read his newspaper you know that kind of thing um and he was done for the day you know, uh, so like the socializing with the family was not a thing that he did. Um, their marriage was uh, pretty much over from my earliest memories. You know, I never saw them exchange any affection uh, at all. You know, um, that was totally. But, that, but, but they stayed married. But they stayed married. So, yeah, because that's what you did. That's exactly that's my. You know? my I've never seen my parents uh, express. Well, my dad's gone now, but I, yeah. I never saw them express love to each other. And uh, it's weird when that's when that's your your role model because you're. It's like it's so bizarre. Yeah. There's a there's almost like a deadness uh, in your in your house that isn't that's just walked around and not talked about. And yeah. How do you how do you think that? Um, that's a really good way to put it because it is like this thing of. Like, what, are we not going to talk about this at all? Like, the fact that this is a weird arrangement? <laughs> like, you two clearly are not on board yeah. with each other yes. anymore. Yeah. What are we all doing yeah. here? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that is how it felt to me. And, and I remember, I remember as, as, how old was I? Like, 12, 13, and I, my mother had a lot of anger, uh, which uh, she was kind enough to pass on to me. Um, I inherited that from her. Um, she, I would hear her, um, kind of rail against her life, like in the kitchen, banging things around, you know, and her, her, she was a person who felt clearly overwhelmed by her circumstance in life. She had to take care of all these kids. She had a job. She had this husband that she felt was not helping out in any way. And I, I guess my dad's um, view on things was he had a job, he worked all day and that was, he was done. He was fulfilling his part of the bargain. Mm-hmm. He was providing for the family. So like the idea of washing dishes on top of that, that's yeah. not going to happen. Sure. You know, Especially for that generation. Yeah, exactly. And I think they were so, and I think my mother's frustration was she did everything that was asked of her by her time and her um, social status, her uh, her religion, you know, all the things that she did, everything that she was expected to do, and nobody said thank you, and nobody said good job, and nobody said, um, uh, hey, eventually you're going to get this. You know, like the, the closest she got to that was uh, the church saying your reward is in heaven, you know, um, but mostly what she got was... You were raised Catholic? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Went to Catholic school, you know, uh, for, for 12 years and, and, uh, 
you know, was was devout for that time. You were? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really? It was not until I got out into the world. I started doing stand-up at 17 um, and moved downtown and... and uh, Philadelphia? S- yeah, and started meeting other people and, and experiencing other points of view. And then that gradually, you know, very steadily fell away. You know, all my faith fell away. Um, and uh, I... I I was very much uh, in in the mold of my mother, you know, a um, a person who was doing what they were told to do uh, to a certain extent. Obviously, you know, embarking on a career in show business was definitely going my own way. That was not uh, a thing in my family. My my oldest sister uh, actually tried it, um, and then that eventually stopped. You know. Um, she did not go as far with it as I did, uh, but I was, I was in it to win it, you know. And what a waste of, I, I, it, it just it's it's almost tragic to me to think of somebody as funny as you not getting any response from either parent. You know, I at least had my mom, but you had neither parent in, yeah. enjoying. Did either did any of your siblings find you funny? Yeah, 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 yeah. And did and, you guys all make each other laugh? Oh yeah, we're we're a funny family for sure, and my my parents included. You know, oh, okay. Um, uh, even my dad, in his way, every once in a while, okay. will get off a good one. You know, but uh, but my mother was very outspoken, and uh, and she liked to laugh. You know, and that's what made it so maddening that I could never really get the approval from her. Which for for the, for for me for for what was for me my number one thing was that I was funny because I would make all my friends laugh at school and it was it was and and some of the teachers too it was like an, it was an acknowledged fact that I was funny and that I couldn't really purely get my mother to laugh and the response to anything uh, that I would try to do to get her to laugh was either. Uh, an explanation of like, no, you know why that is, or, or a oh, which is just soul dead. Man. Oh, it's, it's so, so frustrating, so frustrating, so frustrating. Or she, or it was not the time, you know. Yeah. Or she was like, she was not in the mood for jokes. Do you think you know? either of your parents were uh, like maybe clinically depressed? Oh, I think my mother probably was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my dad, who knows? Yeah, were either of them uh, drinkers? No, not to any yeah. great extent. My yeah. my my dad probably drinks more now as a as an old retiree than he ever did. Yeah. You know, he would have like a beer after work, you know, but um but not really um not it was not a big deal, right? You know. So what what do you like when you would try to make your mom laugh and and it would get nothing? Do you remember kind of what what that felt like? Oh, it was embarrassment and shame and um the most extreme disappointment you know like because it's it's that thing of i was putting myself out there again and again and again and like just the frustration of it like man this you know and like a a thought you can't form as a child but wow this lady does not care for me you know like i am a I am a burden to this person because my mother's whole thing was nobody will help me. I am doing all of this by myself. And, you know, like the way she would refer to us was you people and you, none of you people 
are helping me out. You know, she would say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it was, you know, she couldn't understand. Like to her, it was there's all these people in the house, but she has to do everything. And um, and and from from, you know, a very young age, the idea that, uh, you know, I, I was. I was a bad child because I was not helping her out. But it's, I didn't have any the, worse than the other siblings in her mind. That was never pointed out. You know, that was never pointed out. I don't know that I was ever made to feel that. I don't know that I was ever singled out, yeah. you know, in that way. But, uh, she, but she let you, you know, and know in certain terms that you were thankless and, 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 yes. and ungrateful. Yes. You're not sorry. You're thoughtless yeah. is a phrase that was used. Uh, very often when it was pointed out that I was not doing something that I should be doing or I was not doing something as well as I could be doing or that it didn't occur to me to go do something on my own that would help out around the house. And I would say, I'm sorry. And she would say, you're not sorry. You're thoughtless, which that's so harsh. Oh, it was horrible. It was horrible because I really, I lacked the understanding of what was going on. I didn't know. The dynamic that she wasn't getting anything. And when you, when you're getting nothing, you have nothing to give. And, but I didn't know, like, as a child, like, of course, as an adult, you, you know, around the house, uh, when I would go back home and visit and I would see things that needed to be done, I would do them because I'm a grown up, you know, but as a child, like, 10 years old like i don't know like oh i should go you know pick that stuff up and put it away i should sweep the front steps you know like i don't know stuff yeah. like that I, i'm like I'm, I'm i'm a kid you yeah. know and so yeah you don't know that your your mom is being treated like a second-class citizen by yeah. society yes and that exactly. her that she's getting no physical affection from her husband yeah you know, and that, like and that the world is changing you know, um, I was born in 68, you know, so growing up in the 70s. You were born in the middle of a riot, correct? Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> conceived and born. Yeah. Conceived during one, born during another. Yeah. Um, that, that you know, I, I recently watched um, that uh, that uh, Gloria Steinem uh, documentary. Great which, documentary. Know, fantastic. Yeah. And, and really, it's important that people see that because I, I, I now, because we... We're kind of lulled into thinking like, oh, you know, everything's equal now. It's still not. No. Like the fact that the Equal Rights Amendment was never passed, still not, yeah. still can't get passed, is insane. Yeah. Like like th- that they just, you know, not too long ago uh, reaffirmed, uh, our, our government took time out to reaffirm that in God we trust is still the national motto. Nobody was ever contending that, but... Like, we can't get people to agree, like, yeah, women are equal to men, right? Like, yeah. and, and should be paid the same. Like, that's not on the books is crazy. The Catholic Church has gotten rid of limbo, the place where <laughs> unbaptized babies go when they die. Like, the, the Catholic Church admitting, like, all right, that's not a thing. That's not a... <laughs> of course, babies go to heaven if they die. Still, we cannot get in this country everyone to sign off on the idea that women should be paid the same as men. Like to have it written down. So my mother was was um, you know raising six kids at this time when the world was trying to change and America was trying to change and there was all this upheaval. And I think she was looking around saying, "What the fuck? Why am I still? Where's my where? Where's that happening for me? Mm-hmm. You know." And 
Was she supportive of uh, the women's liberation movement, or was it just not discussed, and it was just something kind of in the peripheral background? It was not discussed, but my mother would say things like, like if there was an old movie on TV, um, or even like an episode of Columbo or something like that, and uh, you know, if it was something where um, you know the the, the criminal. Uh, like a like a double indemnity kind of situation. The criminal does it all at the woman's uh, urging. You know, any kind of Lady Macbeth scenario. I remember my mother. I remember this so because she said it more than once, very dryly, saying to no one in particular, "It's always the woman's fault." <laughs> wow. Yeah. 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 And that's that stuck with me, man, forever, you know. And then, of course, you see it in yeah. stuff, you know. And, and and how can she even begin to have that conversation with your dad? Because he's completely shut down. He had apparently made his feelings known on the matter, which was, um, you know, that's the way I am. You know, he was he was a messy guy who was not going to lift a finger to clean up his own mess, much less help out with anybody else's mess. He wasn't going to put toys away. He wasn't going to, you know, uh, do any of that kind of stuff. So um, and once we were old enough um, to rake leaves, the idea was like, oh, well, they're going to do it. You know, it, it, it there's this dynamic that's so common with with our parents generation where they. They had no idea what a relationship was going to be like, what having kids was going to be like. They had the kids, and then they opened the present and realized, oh, my yeah. God, this is not what I thought. But then you're in, yeah. and, and, and you go to a church on Sunday that tells you, oh, no, you're in. Yeah, they had been there uh, from a time that uh, it was, well, that's just what you do. You know, if your marriage is in trouble, well, then fix it. You, or you suffer through it, you know, you stay together for the kids. Like everything uh, 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 from their generation was telling them, uh, shut your mouth and just do what is expected of you, you know. And I think my mother had issues with that. I remember her saying uh, be be years before she um, converted to atheism, uh, mm -hmm. just before she died. Which is a beautiful ceremony. It's, yeah. <laughs> it, really, it really is. If you, I mean, you, you really should go all out, yeah. you know, get it catered. Um, she, she would say, I'm a Catholic in spite of the church. So she had her issues with it, but she still had her faith. And I think that, she was holding on for as long as she could, like waiting for a payoff with all of this stuff. And it never came. And now when I think about it, I think of, of the crushing disappointment she must have felt like, man, oh man, I did all this stuff that I was told to do. And what did it get me? You know? And I, I mean, she, I think she liked us more as adults than she did as kids. You know, do you and, think that's because her responsibility to you was now much easier? Oh yeah, because absolutely. she didn't have to pick up after you. Absolutely. And, you know, now she could just she love could us. just enjoy you as people and didn't have yeah. to worry about what kind of a human being I'm sending out into the world. Absolutely, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And and we all turned out pretty much okay. We all have our problems for sure, you know. And I, I will not, uh, you know, I, I, it's not it's not for me to discuss. I think all of my siblings issues sure. everybody's got them you know when we all we are no different than any other family we all have our issues. i don't see how anybody could come out of a loveless situation like yeah. that and not be fucked up in some way yeah, yeah you yeah. know it, it it imprints something on you that you're you're just you're not comfortable with people 
Like, I remember uh, getting out into the adult world and sometimes, like, dating women that were very affectionate and were very bubbly and very happy. And I remember something inside me wanting to snuff that out because it made me uncomfortable because right. it was so foreign. Right. It was, you're, you're happy for no reason. I remember saying to a, a, a date of mine one time at a party in high school, she just smiled this beautiful smile at me. Mm-hmm. And I said, what the fuck are you smiling about? Good guy. You actually said good that guy. Her. I was. I felt rage. I felt rage because I. I thought she looked lame. <laughs> oh God. She it's, looked like a fool, a damned fool. I, did, I, I actually thought that. Yeah. I actually, that that is how foreign. Don't that, you realize how awful everything yeah. is? Yes, you yes. idiot. What? How do you not know that the world is a sizzling cauldron of contempt and disappointment? You idiot. <laughs> You know, that's that's what I remember feeling. But also because she was directing that at you. Yes. She was happy to see you. Yes. And I thought, don't you know I'm a piece of shit? Yeah. You know, I couldn't I couldn't construe that in my brain. Yeah. But that was the it, it, and it and it expresses itself as just this kind of vague rage. Yeah. 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 Uh, I, I had loathed myself for such a long time that by the time my girlfriend then girlfriend now wife what were your thoughts towards yourself when you said you you loathed yourself oh i I, there was just nothing good about me you know like the the i i i I was ugly i was uh uh you know uh lazy i was thoughtless i was you know all of these things i was not a good person you know that's what i that's what i thought so talentless immoral thoughtless yeah Unattractive. Absolutely. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Everything. There the was, greatest hits. There was no- <laughs> <laughs> the Catholic greatest hits. And many more. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. Every, there was just, uh, I, I was just not measuring up in every way possible. Okay. Okay. Uh, and like the religion on top of it for so long that I was disappointing Almighty God. Yes. You know, because I grew up in a time when, um, where Catholic guilt shifted from, um, you know, it used to be, you know, if you do these things, uh, like in my mother's time, it was if you if you do such and such, you will make God angry. But me, post Vatican II, it was if you do these things, you make God sad. Mm. You know, you're really letting God down. Who God just loves you so much, and if you sin, you're hurting God's feelings. Yeah, you know. So it shifted from just the fear of hell. It's almost like. God doesn't want to send you to hell, but you're leaving him no choice. God is going to have to send you to hell, and it's going to make him cry. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. Uh, Uh, So you were. I I started. You were starting to say. So you were going. Had a date. Oh, so so my my girlfriend. One one day we were at the. uh, You're how old at this point? uh, This is this is just a handful of years ago. Okay. We're at the gym. We ended up at the gym at the same time, and I was getting off a machine, and I hear. Her call my name and I turn around and she had this huge smile on her face and it was the first time in my life that I consciously felt good about somebody being happy to see me like that where it, it like it it was like nothing I, you know people have smiled at me before but there was something about this that it was like it made me feel like a good person. Wow. Like I was, it made me feel like for the first time, like, 
oh, maybe I'm worth wow. that sort of, somebody looking at me that way. Like somebody, <laughs> maybe it's okay for to feel like somebody should be that happy to see me. Yeah. You know? And I'm not a fraud for taking it in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For For the first time, it made me feel like, hey, maybe I'm not an awful person. Maybe I am worthwhile, you know? But I had never... Never really, and, and at that point, I had been in in therapy for a number of years, but still couldn't quite bring myself to like myself. What do you think got you to that? To that? I mean, maybe this is jumping forward, but uh, how did you how did you get to that? I mean, I, it if, was it was work, you know, it pure pure and simple. It was uh, it was going to therapy um, every week, uh, and really, but really taking it seriously like this is i'm going to be as as honest as i possibly can in here i'm going to try to catch myself anytime i'm i'm like trying to wriggle away from something cuz you know how easy it is to do oh. it's like we get so used to uh, 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 reframing the narrative and, and telling the story, for, you know, Rashomon style. It's like, well, here's what happened. It's like, well, that maybe not really what happened. That's how that's how that's your interpretation. And, and talking of about it with saying how it made you feel, because ultimately, to me, what therapy, really good productive therapy, is saying it made me feel such and such. Yeah, I felt such yes. and such. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what? Do you remember got you to the breaking point where you said, I need to go get help? Oh, absolutely. I, I, my pattern was with relationships, I would fall in love with someone who was never really going to love me back. And it was the, uh, uh repeating the pattern with my mom is trying to get that approval. And it's like, well, clearly I have to get, I have to go after the most impossible person because if I, can win their love, then, uh, and this is obviously all I'm not consciously thinking this, but inside it's like, I will break that. I, I will, I will finally have solved it, you know, and, it'll and then I a, won't need my mother's love anymore. And it'll be a delicious victory because yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm winning the world series. You know, anybody yeah. can go out and, and win the love of somebody who has a great <laughs> mood and is happy to begin with, but where's yeah. the victory in that? Yeah. Absolutely. But if I can turn somebody around. Yeah. So I was friends with this woman. We were we were close friends. And this was somebody that absolutely of all the people in my world, this would be the person to not try to have a relationship with. <laughs> and knowing that, not only it was a total non-starter, it was never even going to be a a failed relationship she was not going to be on board with it f as soon as i brought it up which is exactly what happened female friend and female you said friend, i'd like to be more than friends. i have feelings for you it was met with um uh anger she was anger yeah why anger because she knew it was the end of the friendship oh. she knew because she had been down this road before with somebody else she knew it was going to be awkward, uncomfortable. She knew that I was going to have a weird anger towards her for not loving me. And all of it, exactly what happened. Really? And it was just, exactly it was just a professional peer or just a friend? Uh, both. Okay. Yeah. 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 So it was, we had this very, um, this relationship that would ping pong back and forth between uh, really good and really tense. 
and uh, and uncomfortable. This is after you expressed this. This to is her. after I expressed it, and it. We, Would you remember what she said to you when you when you said, uh, that, "You know, I'd like to be more than friends." She she well, I I called her up, I blurted it out, and then I hung up the phone. And then I I can't remember was it later that day or a day later? Or were you something? just waiting then for the phone to ring? I don't. Oh man, I don't know what the fuck I was waiting for. I don't know. I think I was waiting for the the earth to swallow me up at that point. I it, it was that feeling of I should not have done that, but I was so compelled to do that. Yes, I had to do it. Yes. Oh, like the pit of my stomach. Horrible, oh. horrible. Um, and mortified, mortified. That, Why did I do that? What a, what a prison to be in when you are compelled to do something that shames you. Yeah. Especially if it becomes like, uh, you know, something that, uh, a compulsion that you, that you do over and over again. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, overeating or getting too drunk or, or, or whatever it is. And yeah. you know, oh my God, here's that feeling again. I'm going to do this. Yeah. I, I can't stop myself. What made it so horrible was I was still, I still had enough of that, uh, you know that. Um, By the way, I I invite the leaf blowers whenever I know I'm going to have somebody over for the podcast. I say, please clear the immediate area of all leaves. I think it adds a nice subtext to everything, yes. where it's like this is because this is this is what it's like in your mind when you got this stuff going on. It's as annoying as a leaf blower. <laughs> um, I I I still had enough of that um, that romantic cinematic delusion. That you that you have as a as a kid, you know that you have in high school. That sliver of hope. It's so dumb. So I mean, why I think about it now. See, it's still it's still hard for me not to dislike the person that I was. To oh. to really have contempt for the person that I was. Yeah. Um, I cringe when I think oh about my, my past self. You know, and it's not like I'm not a completely different person, but I I am a a very different person in many many ways. Um. So when I think about, I, I, oh, when I think about that, like there was still, can I can I share an awful one? Sure. Uh, I Please. was about twenty two years old. I just graduated from college. Uh, I I was you know making my rounds, going to auditions in Chicago, and I was represented by this agency that also happened to handle models. And so I struck up a conversation with this gorgeous model, way out of my league. Right. Too nice to say. Stop bothering me. I right. show up at her apartment one night. <laughs> this is so fucking embarrassing. And she is showing... She's amused by me. You know what I mean? She right. she finds me funny, but there's no... Uh, not a hint of, I, I'd like to take this to the next level with you. Yeah. Out of nowhere, I, <laughs> I ask her if she wants to take a bath. Wow. Yes. A bath. A bath, because I think like that'll be romantic. Oh. And like as soon as it came out of my well, mouth. I, I, it was I, I, like, just so I know, just so I know. You show up at her apartment. She she had been uh uh emotionally upset about something. I can't remember what it was, but she was right. and I was like, Oh, I'll be right over. You know, I'll cheer you up. I wrote a little poem for her. Oh, <laughs> oh dude, oh. it's so it's so it and it was she was too nice to show the real horror that she should have reacted to yes. me with. But it the reason I bring that up is is to compare the notes of you don't it, it comes out of nowhere because you think, well, yeah, it's one out of a hundred, but I got to try. Yeah. And well, there's also that, that we're so conditioned to think 
that's what's going to turn everything around. Right. If I just if I if I make this a cinematic moment, it will become one. You know, if I just I just got to open the door to, you know, what would somebody in a movie say? Mm -hmm. And then the other person will have to respond like a person in a movie, not like in real life. Which I also think uh, artists and and uh, depressives depressives may be a little bit more prone to because our sanctuary is often grandiosity. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because your mind you you retreat into how you would like things to be as opposed to dealing with the way things are. Yeah, you know? and if you can paint them any way and yeah. you're creative, yeah. oh my God. Yeah, exactly. You know, so you wind up with these crushing, awful moments where right. you don't know it's grandiosity. Yeah. You don't know that it's you look ridiculous until those words come out of your mouth and then you're yeah. standing there going, I'm going to let myself oh. out. <laughs> Almost better to have no imagination. Really? That you wouldn't get yourself in, in a situation. In like many that. ways, yes. So, <laughs> so, uh, so go ahead. So yeah, so we, our relationship, uh, limped along in this very awful, uncomfortable, awkward place for a good, um, couple years, I think. And you were seeing each other, uh, as friends frequently, infrequently, uh, once a week. Oh, twice we saw a each week, other. We saw each other time. very often. Um, through her having relationships, you know, did that um, kill you? Of course. Oh, absolutely. It killed it. Devastating. Is there anything worse than, than being in love with somebody and having to talk to them? Yeah. And act about like somebody else and pretend that it isn't. Yeah. isn't. And I mean, we did not, she did not bring up her boyfriends. She would not like, like rub it in my face. She wouldn't sure. try to like, you know, use it as a thing to, she was, I have to say she was never cruel about it. Right. She was never cruel about it. And I and it's only now, you know, with with the distance of time and, and, and with maturity and having worked on myself that I can admit how uncomfortable I made things for her. You know, do you, Which, do you still feel foolish when you see her? Oh, I haven't seen her in forever. Oh, OK. We stopped being friends about um, a little over 10 years ago. It's been almost 12 years. It was it was after, you know, after 9-11 when a lot of people were kind of taking stock in their lives mm-hmm. and saying, maybe life is too short for this kind of bullshit. Right. You know, it was not long after that. We we were working together on something. We were writing something together. Um, and I got to say, even despite the, the, the uncomfortable nature uh, of our friendship um, at that point, uh, we were still able to kind of work really well together and create something that was uh, really funny. Um, and all your sketches were about unrequited love, and the guy and the guy <laughs> well, is a real catch, and she can't see it. <laughs> we had we had written this thing where we played a couple. You know, um, it was this absurd thing where we were this absurd married couple. You know, um, uh, but uh, uh, that was it was that it was that close proximity. Um, and that it was the working relationship that enabled the uh the friendship to end because it was the frustrations with the working relationship uh that that really like she was able to see and admit uh that that was really just masking, you know, or that was standing in for this horrible, dysfunctional relationship that we had that really need needed to end because it wasn't going to get any better. And, you know, she had told um, uh, friends of ours, uh, mutual friends, um, that she wa- she knew that um, I was always going to hold it against her, that she did not return my feelings. Mm. And of course, like at the time, I was like, that's 
absurd. I knew immediately that it was the truth, but I could not even admit that to myself. Sure. It was like, you know, when you, when, you, when you have an unpleasant thought that you really need to focus all your attention on yeah. and you look away from it in sure. your mind. I can you handle know? that I'm unloved, maybe, but not unloved and petty. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? Because it was like a deeper truth that, okay, well, if that's true, well, then what do I do? You know what I mean? So I, I then... I got super depressed and and lapsed into this um, state where, you know, still going out and doing the things that I used to do, but uh, just totally morose, just kind of just there going through the motions, you know, um, and I was absolutely devastated. Like I, because I knew... I had made this happen. I knew it was never going to get any different. I didn't know how to be like, well, if I if I run into her, which I would from time to time, do I uh, ignore her? Do I try to engage with her? Uh, I, I could never get to a place, uh, to a comfortable place with it. Were um, you afraid that other people knew about it and were talking about it? Absolutely. Yeah. That's all I thought about. So you thought you look, all I, I looked the, not only the fool to her, but I look like the oh, fool yeah. to everybody. Absolutely. I look desperate. Yes. I look unlovable. Yes. I just look, re everybody, my rejection is on a billboard. Yeah. 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 That's the worst feeling in the world. It was horrible. Yeah. It was really horrible. And just being a, a raw nerve for a really long time. And then, so that went on for a good, uh, almost a year. Almost a year after that was now, when I went to therapy for the first time. Now, before we get to that, was was your comedy at this time was it uh, was it reflecting that pessimism and that anger, or was oh, it? Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah. And it was my comedy at that time was um, uh, was very like I, I would go up at a place like uh, Largo here in Los Angeles, which was a you know a hip, mm -hmm. uh, cool room. And I would go out there and I would make fun of, um, you know, other people in show business. I would be really acerbic about, you know, just anything, um, you know, trying to trying to achieve some kind of uh, uh, coolness in the eyes of other people, trying to get some kind of stature back, you know, um, I, I did not, I was not able to talk about what was actually going on in my life. I, there, it was not funny to me. I couldn't think of a way to make it funny. I couldn't even talk about it obliquely um, because I just, I couldn't even, I didn't even know how to think about it. Right. You know, um, I was not at all in touch with my feelings really, you know. Um, so I was very, uh, there was a bitterness that was coming out of me. Um, that was directed at these dumb targets that did not matter, you know. Um, and to to the to the point where um i think it affected my uh my career where i think that uh i was talking shit about uh people or things that um i should not have talked shit about and i think it adversely affected me there's one instance that i i know for a fact you know that it took years to correct really um i did an episode uh, uh this past year of uh curb your enthusiasm and um it was uh great fun to do uh i was really excited to be asked to do it well i auditioned to do it i was really excited to get the job but to be asked to audition in the first sure. place uh it my episode wraps i'm in um 
the trailer uh, getting changed, and uh, there's a knock at the door, and it's Jeff Garland. And he said, hey, can I come in for a second? He comes in. He says, listen, I want to tell you something. Um, I You did a great job on this episode, and I'm really glad uh, that you did it. And uh, you were really, really funny, and I'm glad that you got the job out of all the people that auditioned for it. And I want to tell you, I have to confess to you that I had been holding something against you for a really long time that years ago, I remember seeing you go up at, at Largo and you made fun of this guy that I knew. Uh, and you read a letter that he had written to the booker of the, uh, of the shows at Largo. And it was really mean and it was really nasty. And I thought this guy is who does something like that. Like this guy is terrible. And I would see you make fun of, uh, you know, uh, other comedians and I would see you. And then one night, uh, you know, you got up there and you made fun of Curb Your Enthusiasm because there was a clip of you in the pilot and you said on stage that you were embarrassed to be seen in that. You made fun of Larry and you made fun of the show. And I thought you were a, a, a mean, nasty, phony person. And... So I would see you over the years and then, uh, you know, I felt bad that I never confronted you on that. And I never said anything about that. And I held this, you know, opinion of you inside. And then, you know, years go by and, and, you know, you are auditioning for this thing. And, you know, I thought, well, maybe he's, you know, uh, maybe he's okay now. Maybe he's not that same person, but, you know, regardless if he auditions and he's funny, he should get the job. You know, and you were funny, and so you got the job. But I realized I needed to tell you this because it was unfair of me to walk around, you know, having this thing against you and never saying anything to your face. Well, now I had done enough work on myself at that point that I was like, I can't believe he is apologizing to me for holding a holding, grudge. <laughs> yeah, for holding a grudge. A, anybody would a have rightful had. grudge. Yeah, and I said to him. Jeff, thank you so much for telling me that. I really appreciate that because the fact that you are being honest with me in that way means the world to me because it's it's a it's a respectful thing to do and it's it's also a very um in a way it's a very caring thing to do. Really? Yeah. You know, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, like because that means because that's, it means that's what men do. It's what that's men what do. a man does. It's what yeah. human beings do yeah. because he is saying I consider you enough of a human being <laughs> yeah. to tell you this. Yeah. You know, he could have written me off and probably did for a long time. Um it, but then it then afforded me a chance to revisit some bad behavior that frankly I have you know, I cringe when I think about the person that I used to be and the stuff that I used to say and the way that I used to treat people. And at that time in my life, when I was all about telling myself, I'm justified in doing this. I am justified and I, I'm better than uh, a better person than that guy. So that means I'm an okay person. I'm constantly trying to reassure myself that I was a decent human being. When I was not being a decent human being and I was not behaving the way I, I would like to behave and I was not doing unto others as I would have them do unto me, which is the one thing that uh, I, I have kept from religion, you know, uh, that simple rule. Um, it really is just that fucking simple. 
do you think it's possible for somebody that grows up in a, in a kind of a household that, that, that you did where you're just, you're not given, you know, any kind of emotional feedback that mm-hmm. makes you feel like a valid person? I don't see how it's possible for you to become a centered person who's happy with how they are without making those mistakes. Oh, yes. And that breaking Absolutely. the bank yeah. and you having to have that moment of clarity where you say, oh, yeah. I, need to, I need to change. The, the way I look at things now is whatever it is in my life where I have made a positive change, my, I, I always first think, oh, I should have done this so long ago. And then I immediately think, but you're doing it now. Yes. You have to just move forward. Yes. You can't look back forever. Um, you know, it's, if, if I could, like anybody, so many things I would do differently if I could, but I can't, no. you know, all I can do is try to be, uh, a decent person now is, is to try to, to try to treat people well now. Um, even if they don't treat me well, you know what I mean? And that's, that's a, it's gotten, the the good news is it's gotten easier to do, you know, it's, 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 it's gotten easier for me to catch myself in moments of, um, you know, extreme emotion. If I, if I'm, if I'm sad, if I feel like someone has offended me, slighted me, insulted me, condescended to me, whatever, it's gotten so much easier for me to, uh, either, a moment later, the next day, a week later, whenever it happens to say, hold on a second, what was that person going through? What, what, what's their, what's their story? And how much empathy can I engender for this person? Mm-hmm. How can I, can I really, and, and sometimes it's fucking hard. Yeah. Sometimes it's really hard, but sometimes even if it's hard, I'm able to say this person is a person just like me. And thank God I have all that negative example of myself to look at and say, well, do I want to be judged forever on the person I was in 2002? You know, do I want to be judged for behavior that I exhibited last week? Or do I want to get better, always keep getting better and always strive to become uh, a, a person that I can that I can personally be proud of? Right. You know, and say, I'm not such a bad person, you know, would, would it be fair to say that you wouldn't be doing the comedy that you're doing right now were it not for therapy? 100%. Okay. Because- as, as I improved my own life, my outlook, my, my art changed Yeah, and for the better. Oh, absolutely. I feel like, you yeah. know, I feel I- like it got, I got, I realized through, through therapy, man, I have not been, I have not been taking anything in my life as seriously as I should be taking it. And I have not been, I have been blinding myself with booze, with, uh, you know, uh, checking out, you know, as much as I can and telling myself who I am as opposed to finding out who I am. Does that make sense? It, it does make sense. And, yeah. and sometimes what we think is a disaster is the necessary path to what we want. It just has to circumvent through yeah. maybe hitting a bottom, maybe Absolutely. experiencing some, some pain that gives us, there's so much clarity can, that can be had through looking at our pain and all the stuff that we don't want to look at. And, and it almost seems like our, our, the worst thing that could happen for us is for us to be given what it is that we're fantasizing about at the time that we're fantasizing about it because we wouldn't be able to handle it. Yeah. When I realized, when it kind of dawned on me, uh, there's always something more that you're going to want. 
there's never because I think especially in the I think this is true for everybody, but I think especially in our business because we have these um, there's 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 always a carrot and, and the stick always gets longer. You know, yeah. it's always like, well, okay, you got this, but what about this? You don't have this yet, sure. you know? And we keep thinking like, you know, right now, what I would love more than anything, uh, is to get a steady gig on television, you know, where I go to the same place every day, Monday through Friday. Um, and I get to come home and have dinner with my wife, you know, at the end of the day. I would love that. Absolutely. And in my, in my mind, mm-hmm. I've conditioned myself to think that is a modest goal. You know what I mean? Like, right. look, I don't want to be right. a global superstar. All I want is my own television show. <laughs> that's, that's created. That's asking for so much. Financially and creatively rewarding <laughs> yeah, exactly. shot near my home. Exactly. Now, the thing is. That is that is a somewhat attainable goal. It's possible yes. that that yes. can happen. It's not probable. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. It's 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 nothing in 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 a weird world like this is probable. It's only possible. What you know? do you what do you define as the difference between a goal and a fantasy? How do you know when one I think a goal is something you can actually work to achieve. Yes. You know? That, that's what I would say. I would say goal is something that you can logistically say, here are the steps it would take to get to it. A fantasy is often something where th- there is a leap of logic there that yeah. no blank can be filled in exactly. except by the ego and, and maybe, yeah. maybe grandiosity. I think, I think fantasy, anytime you're thinking, if that guy would just die, <laughs> then the path would be clear. <laughs> If, if only the heads of all the networks could yeah. see me yeah. th- tonight exactly. having yeah. this show that I'm having. Exactly, yeah. It would yeah, all yeah. turn it would all turn around. But I think a goal is also something that you the difference between a goal and a fantasy is a goal is something that you could achieve, but if you don't achieve it, it's got to be okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Then yeah. it's like, look, I I, I I, I went through a period of bitterness not that long ago where I was in a, I was in a really dark place. It, it was, it was all about, um, you know, uh, entering into middle age, turn, getting into my forties and getting like, I'm 43 now. So realizing like, well, that's just going to continue happening. Mm-hmm. That's not, there's not like, I'm not going to wake up and like, Oh, you're 38 again. What? Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know it could go the other way. Um, yeah, you get like a reset of a couple years. Right. Um, so I, 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 I got into this, this place where I was just overwhelmed. And it, it was like, it was so much like what I bet my mother experienced where it's like, holy shit, time is going by so fast, so fast. That all I can think about is I'm almost dead. I am almost dead. And where am I? And what am I doing? You know, I did not realize how great my life was. I couldn't see it. And I, tr- I was trying to see it. You know what I mean? Like at this point, I am a married man. I'm a professional stand-up comedian. Uh, I'm having like a really good year financially from all these different things. I'm working on, um, all these other projects that are towards my goal. But I was still at this point where everybody else was doing better than I was. I was, I was not any closer to achieving this goal that I wanted to achieve. It was never going to happen. And, but really what it was about was mortality. 
It's that time is too short. It's never going to happen. And uh, it's embarrassing that I can't um, uh, provide for my wife better. It's, uh, it's, It's embarrassing that I have, I have fucked up my career with this dumb behavior in the past that now I'm never going to be where I want to be, not even where I want to be, but to a point where, uh, I can breathe, you know, it's always going to be like this. I'm always going to be on the fucking hustle. I'm always going to be uh, traveling around. I'm always going to be packing that That's goddamn suitcase. So crazy. It was terrible. It was terrible. Because I can tell you, Paul, from your as a peer of yours, and I know there are tons of other peers that feel the same way. We look at you and think, if I could only get to where where, and and that ladder I think never ends unless you can that, say yeah. I'm happy to just be on this journey. The ladder never ends because you're always building the fucking ladder. Yeah. You're always adding the rungs on there. Yeah. It's always you, you know? Nobody else was telling me, Paul, you know you're a failure, right? You right. know that uh, right. you should be a lot farther along. I was the only one telling myself Do you that. ever stop sometimes? Uh, and, oh, but I, I'm sorry. I do want to say this. Oh, yeah, yeah. The life that I'm leading now is the exact same life that I was leading when I was in that horrible place, except now I see it all totally differently and i see how great it is and do you think it, it was anything other than than therapy that that brought in time that got you to that place i'll tell you exactly what it was it was the the breakthrough for me and Dian- dianetics <laughs> yes thank god we can talk about this now hail xenu <laughs> i have a book i'd like to pass i don't even, like I don't even know what xenu is soon you will uh i i was going to therapy this whole time I was talking to friends. I was talking to my wife, you know, who's my wife is so great that she like that she was able to be there for all of that. It was bad. And I was in a bad place and it was hard on her. And I know how hard it was on her. And she was a fucking champ through all of that. I, 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 and do you think it's because she could see the real you inside there and this was just something you had to work your way through that this wasn't that it wasn't that she had low self-esteem and this is what wasn't shit she was going to have to put yeah. up with for the rest of her life yeah. she knew this is Paul growing yeah absolutely isn't that amazing when life gives you somebody that has that kind of patience and can see into you and yeah. allow you to be that person and yeah. and forgive you yeah and put up with your shit oh, yeah. yeah 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 she she oh so i will say this and then we'll, I, yeah. I would like to talk more about how great my wife is <laughs> she um the thing that the thing that changed it for me was i had dinner with a friend of mine an old friend i hadn't seen him in a his in name's a, not a andre is it what's that andre Dumbest joke ever. Maybe dumbest joke. T- 30, 30 some odd podcasts. I don't know why I don't you shut my fucking mouth. I'm creating wreckage. As I do the podcast about wreckage, creating I'm creating more wreckage. wreckage. It, was, it was not, it was not Andre. So dumb. Uh, <laughs> we, I hadn't seen him in a while. This was a guy who's, who's a, a slightly older friend, uh, slightly older than me. Um, uh, and, and a guy who, who's, Counsel, I uh, uh, put a lot of stock in. Um, Whether I agree with him or not, he is a great sounding board and a a great giver of 
advice. Not a lot of people are. Not a lot of people give good advice and give it well, you know. He never, ever, ever starts anything with, you know what you got to do. <laughs> it's always, he's a very, uh, a very thoughtful person in every sense. And so we're just going to have dinner just to like catch up. And, and this is how long ago? Th- this is like, this is around the beginning of the summer, I think. This year. And he, I think he just asked me, how is everything? And I started talking and I started saying all these things that I did not know I was going to say. And I laid it all out for him. Here's where I am right now. Here's this, this, uh, this pit that I am in that I cannot fucking get out of, you know? And he was just able to talk to me in a way to that flipped my perspective because he was saying no you don't understand you're you're saying this is a bad thing and that it's it's a dead end it's going nowhere i would like you to look at it as an opportunity for this here's what you could get out of it you know i was doing this you know i was going to do this project and it was like ah this thing is it's going nowhere and i don't want to do it i'm gonna i'm gonna bail on it i'm gonna bail on it he goes don't do that because as flawed as this project is, if you are good on it, if you give it your best effort, everything will come around to you because you are going to shine. You will, it's, it's, it's not a matter of, um, it's not the thing that you want it to be. It's that you're getting a chance to do something that, uh, is good for you, you know? Um, it, it, it's just that it, it was just that simple. Like stop, obs- stop obsessing about the whole yeah. and just look at what you have control yeah, over. Yeah. But he was also kind of making me realize things are not bad. Like you think they're bad. They're not bad. It makes me laugh to think that you would have anxiety about your career. Oh, it, it which just should, tells me it never ends unless you decide to say yeah. it ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to appreciate where I yeah. am this very moment in my life yeah. and look at what I have and what I, what can I be grateful for Yeah, and accept the fact that life is not perfect and I'm never going to get what I want because my brain is crazy. Everyone's brain is crazy in terms of coming up with, with what they want and where they think they should be. If you just keep getting everything that you want, there's going to be you're going to invent you're going to go mad to you're going to become mad yeah. you're going to become howard hughes and then you're going to yeah. fear bugs you're going to want things that aren't possible i am then. already afraid of bugs <laughs> afraid of germs. oh you mean you yeah. mean listening devices yes um that that was the beginning for me of the process of 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 crawling back into the light as it yeah. were and not long after that i talked about it on stage because uh, i do this live show at at, at largo every month it's, the, it's such a great show and Thank when you, you which it, you did it up in san francisco uh, i had so much fun doing it oh please do it again in los angeles i'm putting it out there on the podcast oh my god i would i would love to have you back on jump the show. through hoops to uh to come no do that. consider them jump through <laughs> um i so I, I do a new monologue every month brand new material and uh which is usually decided that day. I like kind of sit and think, what am I going to talk about? You know? And all I could think of was this place of bitterness that I had been in. I was like, I, but I didn't want to, I was afraid to talk about it. Cause I thought like, this is going to bum people out. I don't know if I can make this funny, 
but that's how I approach it every month is I don't know how I can make this funny. And what makes it funny is it has to be funny because I'm out there in front of people. Yes. So it's the necessity of that. It's like, you know, the tightrope, you know, make it. It's going to be okay because it has to be okay. So I was like, I want to try this. I want to try doing this and see if I can make this funny. If I'm ever going to do it. It's going to be in front of these people who are going to be the most generous and welcoming people. And these people show up specifically to see you. They love you. They know your point of view, your sense of yeah, humor, they the and score. they show up for that. They know yes. the score. This isn't just a random comedy club audience that is showing up for funny night yeah. and you're the guy. No, yeah. they. you have a built-in audience, 300 people or however many that come to yeah. Largo. And there's some people who might be coming for the guests that I have on the show. There might be some right. people that are coming because they're friends. But you've won them, them over come. already is my yeah, point. There's, yes, yes it's, it's a welcoming atmosphere. And it's, it's like if I was ever going to do this, it's got to be now and it's got to be tonight you know, in front of these people. And it was um, a very uh, – in uh, the whole show, I did not realize – the whole show took on this tone of catharsis of talking about this stuff. And when I was talking about it, I was saying, I know that I'm crazy. Like, <laughs> as I was saying, I'm feeling this way. And I know, like, intellectually, I know things are not bad. But this is what I'm doing is I'm taking everything that is good and I'm turning it into a negative thing. So if somebody says, hey, you got asked to guest star on that TV show. It's like, yeah, but I don't have my own TV show. Right. You know? And there's and knowing that there's people in the audience who would love to have the career that I have. Mm -hmm. And that night on Twitter, like there were there were many people that said to me, Hey, what you did was really cathartic for me. You talking about that stuff made me feel good because it made me realize that I do the same thing. Like mm -hmm. things are good, but you know, I, I I bemoan that they're not what I what I fantasize them being or what I wish them to be. And then there were people that thought it was just complaining, like said you know, listening to you, like, get up there and, and uh, you but know, But you said you knew cry. you were crazy. I know. doesn't matter. It Because they're in, the, they're in their own thing. You yes. know what I mean? Like, they, they hear nothing but me complaining. They don't hear the disclaimer. They don't hear the, I know that what I'm saying is nuts, you know? Um, and then my friend was there at that show, the guy who started the, 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 the about face for me. And he was really bummed out by it. And he said, it really distressed me to see you, you know, talking in that way. And, you know, what, what you know, I, I would hope that for your next show, um, you know, you would you would uh, go back to, uh, uh, you know, being delightful for the audience because people don't want to worry about you when they go to your show. They want to be entertained. And my feeling, what, what I did not express to him, well, you know, because I, I was this the Christmas show where the, where you got the nasty letter from the guy. No, that no, was, no, no, no. Okay, no, no, no. all right. This was this was July. I want to say. I okay. want to say this is the July show. Um, and then we we talked. Is, that, is we had, that was that monologue recorded and available to hear? It was recorded. No? It is not available to hear. Okay, all right. I okay. I, I want to give give it some distance and listen to it. Okay, to see what it what it sounds like because okay. it was like. Yeah, I should not listen to this right away. This is okay. something I should let breathe a little bit. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, I felt very, he was telling me this and I felt embarrassed, you know, and I felt like, oh, I fucked up. But I, I displeased this guy who is not, not quite a father figure to me, but certainly an avuncular figure in my mm -hmm. life. You know what I mean? Or, or maybe a big brother in a lot of ways. And, and I, but a guy that who, who definitely has a presence in my life that, Oh, I don't want to disappoint this man, you know? Um, 
but I was also, I was frustrated because it's like, that's not what it was, you know? And, and, and I feel like the, the difference between the entertainer and the artist is that the entertainer, the, the, the first duty of the entertainer is to entertain, but the first duty of the artist is truth. Yep. And you, and I like to consider myself an artist. Yeah. And I, I feel like my evolution as an artist has not come all this way to just stop at merely entertaining people. I'm not trying to shut anybody out. I'm not trying to alienate anyone. But I do feel like it is pointless for me to not explore these things. Absolutely. It's pointless to me to, to, to have this much feeling yeah. and not like explore that ever, ever. Like I gotta try it. I to, gotta to try me, it. To me, that's the most fertile ground for art yeah. is this stuff that makes us stuff uh, makes us uncomfortable that is tinged with tons of gray oh, yeah. where things aren't clear and especially where there's the disconnect between what we know intellectually and what we feel emotionally because it's so it's so crazy yeah. it's it's like how can i know something intellectually and still feel different emotionally how do you not talk about that yeah. artistic yeah. that to me is the is the, that's what a great movie is about, you know. Like broadcast yeah. news for me, what is so great is yeah. that Holly Hunter falls in love with William Hurt, who she has no respect for, yes. and she can't understand why. Why do I love this guy? You know that that to me is is great art. So I say bravo, sir. <laughs> I, I accept your kudos. <laughs> Uh, well, if, uh, if you live in the LA area and you've never, uh, heard of, uh, of Paul Tompkins, A, you're an idiot. Uh, B, get to his monthly show. You're stupid the, for not having heard of me. Uh, you probably have, uh, we're raised in a loveless household, household, and, uh, there's hope for you. If you can only ask out a woman who has no feelings for you, you'll get your moment of clarity. Uh, uh, the the Paul uh, F. Tompkins. What what is the name of the of the live show? Did you just call it the, the Paul, F. Paul F. Tompkins show? show. Yeah. Okay, and uh, the podcast is the the Pod F. Uh, Tomcast, and uh, you can get it on iTunes. You can go to the website paulftompkins dot com. You can true. follow him on Twitter. Um, anything you'd like to plug other than that before? Because uh, we're, we're at like uh, an hour and eleven, and I know you got uh, you got wow. some places you uh, you got to go. Um, two things in December. Uh, uh, I think it's. Um, December 15th, I believe is my, um, Christmas show at Largo, which will be a benefit, b benefit, benefit for, uh, Habitat for Humanity. I'm sorry, December 17th, December 17th, December 17th at Largo. Um, and December 22nd, uh, I'll be in Charleston, South Carolina, which is where my wife is from. And this is the first time I'm performing there. I'm very excited. Oh, about nice. It. That'll be December 22nd. It's a benefit for crisis ministries, which is a local, uh, uh charity there. So, um, uh, I hope to see if you, if people you, there. if you go for that given to the needy kind of bullshit, <laughs> if that's look, yeah, if you want to pretend to feel good about yourself, yeah. Yeah. Here's how you can do it. I've got a charity called Looking Out for Number One <laughs> that uh, I'm just getting off the ground right now. Well, uh, how about if we, uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, before before uh, we did this uh, this episode, I said, Paul, I'm, there's this idea that I have uh, where I'll start, uh, my guests and I will start giving, uh, answering advice questions and we'll do it, we'll call it either or. And uh, the, the first one that I was going to do is this email I got from this woman. And she says, uh, there is something wrong with me because I love a dysfunctional man incapable of having a deep relationship with anyone. And I don't know how to stop or break away. I don't understand why. 
I can't. I don't know why I always love men that are incapable of loving me back. How perfect is that? That that was perfect. That that was also how common a thing is this? So right? common. How, I think most of us go through this where you're trying to you're 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 trying to get there's some person <laughs> that that you're you're making all these other people stand in for for how long you know yeah. and I think it's this and so many people I know it's the it's the pattern that they go through for a while until they eventually break it one way or another yeah. you know and start a nice relationship with somebody nice. Yeah, it it uh, you know I like to think of it as it excites the unhealed part of you, mm-hmm. and when you heal that part of you, you will be shocked at what used to excite you uh, about people. It's just so much better. It's so much easier <laughs> to live. And, and that woman's name was Winter. So uh, Winter, uh, yeah, I like it. <laughs> uh, uh, hopefully, you'll you'll get to that place where you you know you work on yourself and you can. Uh, you can stop chasing guys that, that that aren't interested in you, but know that you're uh, you're certainly not alone um, in no, that one. Not and, at all. And uh, Paul, F. are we not going to do a fear off? Oh yeah, I almost forgot the fear off. Why did I bring right it up? <laughs> <laughs> Why glad. did I just do I, that? I, I, I no, I could <laughs> I could talk for another forty five minutes, but I know you got an appointment, so uh, yeah, we'll do a, a quick uh, a quick fear off because you only you said you only have like five major ones, and they all kind of. Our sub, yeah, everything underneath else is that. branches, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let's get the. What are your trunks? Your fear trunks? Uh, still, that I may never achieve a relatively stable, comfortable existence in my career. I fear that uh, my depression will get the better of me, and my purpose in this will be to show uh, other people how serious depression is. And is that yours or is that? Yes, from this, the no, these are mine. I, uh, Ooh, I, I, came up I get with some, some. I get some from the personal. You get some uh, fresh ones yeah. <laughs> from the, the fresh stash. Personal fear seller. Yeah. Uh, I fear that I will drift away from my family. Uh, I fear that our foreign policy will trigger a world war. That's pretty good fear. Yeah. Uh, I fear that I will let my wife and my marriage down in an irreparable way. Uh, I fear that we will never get enough elected officials in office to stand up to special interests. I'm less afraid of that than I used to be. Yeah. I have to say. Where's that, where's that hope coming from? With the Occupy movement, honestly, the fact that it's still going on and that it's still spreading, uh, actually gives me a lot of hope that it's finally kind of happening that people are, uh, are, literally getting out on the streets yeah you know which i think is what needed to happen yeah you know it's certainly certainly what needs to how it needs to start yeah at least i, I don't want to be cynical about it yeah. you know and i think some people were were pretty cynical obviously there are still people that are cynical about it but i saw people that were cynical about it when they first heard about it, like like hippies and bongos and stuff and people that were not supposed to be cynical about it you know right. that it's like these people are they're, they're like you you know and now there's the those are the people that are going out there, you know, friends of mine that that are out there, you know, in New York and L.A. So yeah, I'm, I'm less afraid of that than I used to be. Good. Um, I am afraid that I am a <laughs> that I do not realize what a thoughtless and self-absorbed friend I am to my friends. Uh, I'm afraid I will execute badly, fail to enjoy, not put enough effort into, or just plain stink at a project I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm afraid that I am not as talented as I think I am or that people tell me I am. That's so funny because my ne- very next one is I'm afraid that I am a much worse actor than I think I am. <laughs> I think I found out that I am recently. <laughs> you think you're a, not a good actor? I think I'm okay. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I like it's the it's the the equivalent. Like if I was a singer, uh, be, I, I can carry a tune. You right. know what I mean? I got you. Like I can reasonably pretend to be somebody else, but right. um, I know that at things like auditions, uh, there I I realize sometimes, uh, like oh I'm I'm not like. I'm just okay at this. Mm-hmm. Like this is this was an audition that a real actor will right. will ace well, exactly. He'll <laughs> have it all have, broken down. Yeah. He'll know where his eye his eye line should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll know where to take a beat. Yeah, I yeah. mean, some people some people really are born with that gift. Yeah, you know, it's like a, like the old Spencer Tracy quote is like, just memorize your lines, don't bump into any furniture. Oh, also be born with a tremendous gift for acting. Yes. Uh, that by, helps. And, and by the way, maybe this is the note that that, that we should go uh, out on. Uh, I watched a, a Spencer Tracy uh, documentary a couple of nights ago. Uh, I had a bunch of work to do, and I was like, you know, I'm going to get to this work. And then I thought, you know right. what? I'm just going to eat shitty food and watch this documentary oh, about Spencer best. Tracy. The best. And one of the greatest thing that I took out of it, and I might have mentioned this on the podcast already, but almost every time he committed to do a movie, right before they were ready to shoot, he would try to get out of it because he had tremendous anxiety that he was going to suck. i never heard that before. Yep. Really? Yes. Wow. It never ends. Wow. It never ends. What a perfect note to end on. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. Thank you, Paul. Uh, That was uh, Paul F. Tompkins. What a great, great interview. Um, That's just so amazing to me uh, how incredible, incredible pain can bring about such great stuff, but at the time, we can't see it because it's just so fucking shitty. Um yeah, if you ever get a chance to see him, uh, absolutely go go see him. He is uh, a, a true original voice in the uh, in the comedy world. Um, many people to thank for uh, helping put this show together. Uh, my wife Carla, as always, for her feedback. Uh, Steve Grieve, who uh, helps keep the website going. Um, uh, the guys that uh, keep the spammers out of the forum, uh, Eternally Learning and BCZF, thank you guys. Uh, and then Manuel Moji, who I noticed is really jumping in deep in, uh, into the forum and uh, posting a lot of stuff and connecting to people. That just warms my heart, man. It warms my heart seeing this uh, this little community uh, kind of starting to starting to take off and seeing that the people are relating to this podcast and that... Uh, not only are they not alone, but fuck, I'm not alone. And I'm not just staring at the wall going, oh, fuck, Christmas is here again. Another another box of shit my mom didn't want and uh, is putting a bow on and sending it to me. Yeah, we'll get into that in another another episode. But uh, uh, thank you, uh, you guys, so much for tuning in. And um, yeah, visit the website, metalpod.com. But most of all, be good to yourself this uh, this upcoming trifecta of doom and gloom and depression short days thanksgiving uh and then uh christmas and new year's uh so it can be a tough time for a lot of people so remember to be good to yourself and uh thanks for listening you're not alone